0: We're going to go right to the NFL. Here's a press conference, NFL Live. Each of them will make opening remarks, and then we'll be able to take a couple questions. I'll let you know how to uh, use the raise hand function, which you know how to do. Uh, The session is on the record, and audio and video may be used, and you're free to post in real time. Let's begin now with Jeff Miller.
1: There we go. Uh, thanks, Brian. Uh, good afternoon or good morning, depending where you are. Hope everybody is well. Uh, start by saying that we continue uh, to keep Demar Hamlin and his family in our thoughts, um, as we have since since the game. Um, no updates here on his medical status. The the family and the club will continue to provide those uh, reports to you. Uh, we we will not be talking about any details with regard to his medical situation or care today. That said, just want to take a moment before we turn it over to to Alan, just to talk about our gratitude for the medical professionals who have been working with Damar Hamlin over the last few days, both those in the hospital, the doctors, the nurses, the other experts who have been providing him um, expert care uh, for this period of time. And also, of course, the on-field medical staff, the on-field athletic trainers in both clubs, The independent doctors, the airway management physicians, uh, the EMTs, and everybody else who has trained and trained and trained again, um, both in their own professional lives, um, but also as part of our emergency action plans, which are in place in every stadium, to ensure when there are emergent events that those professionals, those highly expert professionals, handle the situation in the best possible way. And I think we saw an example of that um, during this, and we're of immense gratitude for the trainers and the doctors, and I mentioned the airway management physicians and the EMTs for their care for DeMar during the course of what was, you know, a, a, an emergency on field. So uh, we'll continue to, of course, you know, work with him, the clubs, the medical staffs, both teams. Um, keep uh, Damar foremost in our thinking as we make some uh, decisions going forward, uh, which certainly Alan and Troy can speak with in a moment. So with that as background, um, Alan, maybe you can
2: take it from here on the medical side a little bit further. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Good afternoon. Good morning to everyone. I just want to add um, my own personal words of continued prayers uh, for Damar, for his family, for the entire Buffalo organization and everyone that's been affected uh, by this set of events. Um, as we move forward. I also wanna echo and express my own thanks and really my admiration to the incredible team of of healthcare providers and caregivers, um, starting in the moment on field with the medical staffs of Buffalo and Cincinnati, um, as well as all of the independent medical personnel who are present, the airway doctors, the visiting team medical liaisons, the uh, unaffiliated neurotrauma consultants, the paramedics, everyone who acted together in that moment And of course, the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, which is an outstanding trauma center and has taken the lead in providing care. Uh, It's certainly not an exaggeration to say that the skilled and the immediate response by all of these talented caregivers uh, prevented a very tragic outcome uh, at that moment. And certainly we never want to see events like this occur, but if there were to be a medical emergency, there was absolutely the right team with the right equipment and the right training on site able to provide care. Part of the response uh, that Jeff mentioned is preparation. And our preparation for these situations starts many, many months before game day. There are really three E's that I would emphasize to you. The first is our emergency action plan. Every stadium and every training facility has a very detailed plan that describes for a variety of medical emergencies exactly what needs to happen. They describe the roles, the responsibilities, the necessary equipment and the flow of care that needs to occur. And every club submits that emergency action plan to both us and to the Players Association. We have a jointly appointed expert, uh, Dr. Jim Ellis, who helps us review those. And those are detailed and and very uh, important as part of that preparation. And it is something that is shared widely among clubs. So if a visiting team is coming in to play in a stadium, they have access to and are familiar with that emergency action plan. The second E is equipment. We obviously have all of the necessary equipment to support life-threatening emergencies, whether that be AEDs or defibrillators, uh, airway equipment, advanced uh, monitoring equipment. And not only is that equipment present at the stadium, but it's widely available at each club's training facility, not just on the practice field, but in the weight room, in common areas. Every one of our clubs travels with this equipment, so it's with them on airplanes, in hotels, wherever they may go, so that we're prepared, again, to deal with just this exact type of cardiac emergency. And then the third E is an enhanced preparation. Every one of our clubs practices and drills on these exact scenarios every year before the season starts. They gather all of the emergency personnel and team medical personnel together. We have a third-party vendor who comes in and actually goes through real-time scenarios using mannequins and other simulators to practice these exact Uh, situations so that we are absolutely prepared and know who needs to do what and how it needs to occur. And that includes not only cardiac events but things like truncal trauma with hypotension and heat illness and and, uh, things of this like. So that is a program that's been in place for a number of years. Again, it's something that we in the Players Association prioritize and it's part of what helps us prepare for these situations. I know there's been a lot of speculation about the cause of this situation. And, and I don't really want to address that in too much detail today, because I think there's still a lot of investigation that needs to happen to understand that. Uh, many people have discussed this condition, commotio cortis, and it certainly is possible. But I think what more important is, regardless of the cause, the key in any type of sudden cardiac event is the, is the rapid response of trained personnel. And so I think the important lesson that we can all take away from this is really for every sport at every level, Um, Preparation for a sudden cardiac event, making sure that people have training and basic life support that AEDs are available. Um, That is a very, very key message and something we can all learn from. The last thing I'd like to add is just the the mental health aspect of this. I think it is certainly key that we acknowledge um, how great a strain this places on everyone involved, certainly the teams, the medical care providers, the staffs, and this is not just for Buffalo and Cincinnati, but across all our teams. And so As all of you know, we have resources at each of our clubs and we've emphasized preparation in this in this way, our clubs have deployed those resources with their with their counselors and their and their mental health professionals. And that support extends throughout the entire NFL family and it will be an ongoing need. This is something that will continue and something we will continue to emphasize. So um, I'll stop there and turn over to Troy.
3: Thanks, I had an opportunity. Just yesterday evening, to kind of uh, get myself together and actually just relive uh, the moments of Monday night, uh, my greatest fear had flashed in front of me at that particular moment. Um, But, but for the goodness and grace of God, uh, Demar is still here and he's still fighting. Uh, There's no playbook for managing like real time drama and emotions associated with immediate life-threatening event that occurred on Monday night. While our game and I've been taught and guided by policy and best practices, there was only one policy and practice that mattered that evening. And that was the emergency action plan by those first responders. I left yesterday evening for the first time around 8, and I had an opportunity to watch the video again for, I don't know, the 150th time. And Dr. Sills referenced this, that emergency action plan was executed to perfection. By individuals who rehearse and practice and train for in stadium health emergencies. And Dr. Sills, and to the, the medical professionals, first responders, the physicians, the trainers, the EMTs, that evening was outstanding. You gave our brother Damar another day to live another chance to fight. And I think we all have to recognize the power of prayer from our coaches, players, the staff, and the fans that was in that stadium and the people watching from around the world. There is power in prayer. From the time that DeMar collapsed, which was approximately 8.55 that evening. All day Tuesday, the focus has just been on managing and coordinating the ongoing response efforts, making sure that the players and the coaches in constant communication with the Players Association about those things that Dr. Seals has laid out It's about the health and well-being of DeMar First and his family, but the emotional trauma that people witness on our field. And then I just, I just think it's just important for me just to share one more time, just to be clear. Um, And I apologize for, if I was short, I don't know what that time was, 12.31 a.m. in the morning on Tuesday morning uh, when Jeff asked to share a few comments from that from that night that evening. And I'm not sure who the the actual journalist or reporter was, but I was asked a question about this return to play. And I, I, I'm i not I felt like I snapped, or I was hasty in my answer, but I would like I just want to be clear. Just that suggestion alone was inappropriate it was insensitive and frankly it lacked both empathy and compassion for demar's situation who is still in the woods and is fighting for his life this day it lacked complete and, and it was just so insensitive to think that we were even thinking about returning to play. I just wanted to share that because it came up and I think there's been a little bit of discussion. I don't know who said it and I really don't care. But the only thing that mattered to myself, the team here, the folks in the stadium and the, the coaches was the health and wellness of DeMar. And getting those coaches back to the locker room so they can look their players in their eyes and see who they are. They were hurting, there was a lot of pain, and talking to the commissioner and communicating with everyone. It was just important. We we just couldn't play. So I just wanted to share that. Uh, sorry I was a little long-winded. Um, but I just thought it was just appropriate. And obviously I'm still living in this moment. So I appreciate you letting me share a couple of thoughts here.
0: Thank you, Troy, for those powerful words. To indicate you would like to ask a question, please use the raise hand function. Once called on, please unmute yourself and ask your question. Once again, please use the raise hand function.
3: Press conference of the National okay, Football League let's begin (NFL)
0: with Jarrett Bell, USA Today. Uh, hi, everybody. Um,
4: I've mean, had a couple questions. One, um, could you give us an update on whether there's been any movement about actually officially canceling the game or doing something um, with, with regards to how it would affect? Uh, the standings and the seatings and and where you may go with that. I know that week 18 games, as as mentioned yesterday, are are all on tack. And the second question is for either Troy or Dr. Sills, um, just wanting to have a little bit of more insight on the mental health support. Um, could either of you or both of you speak to um what happens with counseling in a situation like this um I, I imagine there's a wide range there but if you can give us um some insight on on what specifically the grief counselors may do with the bills as they go back to work this week
1: sure. thank and you jared thanks for the questions uh, troy maybe you and i can can tackle the first one and then you and alan can can talk a little bit about the second question um, as far as the first one goes, Jared, you, you saw the announcement yesterday that we were not going to play um, the game this week. So that conversation about what we do with that game has begun. Um, Troy, Commissioner, um, some of the rest of us are involved in those conversations, but they're ongoing. We have no announcement to make at this, at this time. Uh, obviously, we're going to have to make a decision on that uh, in the coming days, which we will. Uh, but there's a lot of considerations at place there and a lot of people that we want to consult with, including the clubs involved. Uh, Before that decision is final, so that um, that that's where uh, those things uh, stand now. Troy, anything you want to add to that? Uh, From the from the
3: scheduling standpoint,
1: no, I think you hit it. And Jared, it was uh, uh, literally
3: uh, all of the focus have been on Demar, and we have just begun, and myself, frankly, to just um, think through and talk through, you know, all of the the different scenarios and, and where that game stands, and. When to play it, so on and so forth. So uh we will be that will all attention, most of attention will still be will be focused on uh getting answers out to to your question for the for the general public and also the clubs as well.
1: So yeah, Jerry, we're working we're working hard on that now. Um as far as the second question goes,
2: uh Alan, do you wanna lead there, Troy? Feel free to add to. Yeah, I'm happy to speak to that. So, Jarrett, you know, we spoke about that emergency action plan for for cardiac and and heat illness emergencies. We also have mental health emergency action plans for all of our clubs, which, again, have been developed and submitted and reviewed. And so um, that's part of what um, is enacted in a situation like this. So each club will have a crisis response team that they've identified. Um, That certainly is going to include individuals such as their behavioral health counselor, um, their team chaplain, their director of player engagement, and, and a number of others, medical staff who are going to be in a support role. So each club has that plan in place. And again, has practiced that and, and has some degree of preparation. Um, obviously, every situation is unique and, and each club is going to bring in different resources. But again, this is something that that every club has prepared for and practiced in advance and. And is certainly put in place. And, and we at the league have worked with and been in communication with the Bills about how we can support that effort and bring resources in. Again, not just for their players and their staff, but the families and, and the entire organization, because a situation like this is certainly impacts everyone in that organization. And as I mentioned, clubs around the league, we've been in contact with um, our clubs and making sure that they likewise um, feel supported and have a chance to um, activate those same resources, because, um, it is a family. We often talk about the family, but there is a family and that family has been very close and probably closer to each other than ever before over the last several years dealing through the pandemic. And so we see this as an issue, not just for Buffalo or Cincinnati, but for that entire NFL family.
3: Yes, yeah, so I, I would just add Jared, an excellent question. Uh, this is one where immediately uh, it might have been around 3 a.m. that morning uh, working with uh, Dr. Yaka Lamptey who oversees our total wellness and in coordination with Dr. Sills and his team, uh, this is where we 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 just remind, and this is not anything new. Uh, what we've done, Dr. Sills referenced this. We practiced this. The clubs are practicing this all the time, and these resources remain available, 24 hours around the clock. And what we wanted to do was make sure that family members, teammates, uh, personnel, staff, um, not just of the two teams that were on the field, um, those that were at home watching, that they were available. Um, From, you know, confidential sessions, inpatient, outpatient, uh, using resources, whether you want to go to the Players Association, NFL, our partner here with Cigna on the behavioral health side, it was just really important that we sent out mass communications to all that witnessed that were inside of the NFL family on how do you access, what's available to you, um, where can you go, and all the clubs were obviously ready to activate Um, where where players choose or their family members choose to uh, pull on those resources.
0: Next question comes from Chris from CBS Buffalo. Thanks, Brian. Uh, For Dr. Sills, you referenced that a lot of investigation is uh, going to be needed to determine why DeMar went into cardiac arrest. Can you tell me what kind of assistance or involvement or information the league is providing to DeMar's medical team uh right now to help get to that answer in that point
2: well obviously Chris we want to provide any and all information that's that's necessary and so um the primary focus as Troy mentioned is on Demar, his health and his caregivers and so they they are taking the lead in the role in his care as they should um, and um, obviously any information that they need from us we're happy to provide but um, but I think, again, anytime we have an emergency situation on our fields, we always do an after action review. So anytime we transport a player off the field or immobilize someone, we, we make a detailed review of that situation so that we can see what we can learn. If there's anything that we can do um, in terms of our response, prevention, and so forth. So that will obviously occur here. I don't think now is the time and the place to get into that. Again, our total focus and energy and the total focus and energy of the medical team is on DeMar, his care and his recovery at this point. Um, there'll be another time and a place for getting into all of that uh, information.
0: Next question, Lindsay Jones, The Ringer.
2: I guess this is Troy for, for Troy, but, um, you know, we've heard you today and also on Tuesday night, um, you know, talking about what happened, especially as it relates to that five minute warning. I'm hoping you could provide a little bit more clarity, though, about how that report got onto ESPN and whether it was relayed through the officials and maybe what the standard operating procedure is. And if that might have been what the assumption was, um, if you could just maybe take us through how that actually got on to air because we've we've heard ESPN side of it at this point. I'm not
3: sure how it got on air, but that night, Lindsay, I was completely my mic was completely open. Um and talking to Sean. And at that time, I'm the center resource. I'm the center communicator talking to at the time Sean Smith, who was the referee, who was now communicating with both head coaches. At no time, at no time in my discussion in that hour long time frame, Were did we ever even myself reference And the mic is open and there are multiple, multiple people um, that are um, receiving the information from me to give any directives, any directives to uh, getting players ready to play. The only directive that came from myself as the emergency team was on the field caring for DeMar was coach Sean. Smith, who's the ref? I need you to get two of the, both of the coaches together and ask that they take their team to the locker rooms. We're going to suspend play. It is important that both coach Taylor and coach McDermott because it was just raw emotions watching and I thought it was extremely inappropriate for millions and millions of people to watch this raw emotion and as as the medical team tried to care for this young man, get him back to the locker room. So that is the communication uh, that took place on field, real time, with multiple people listening in. That was the only directive.
5: You're listening to live question. coverage of the NFL News Briefing on News Radio 930, WBEN Buffalo and WKSC HD3, Niagara Falls. Thanks, Can you hear me okay?
0: Yes, go ahead, Tom. Okay, this is for uh, Dr. Sills. Dr. Sills, I'm wondering if you could talk in as much detail as possible about the 60-minute meeting, which I assume happened in Cincinnati, and how with so many uh, healthcare professionals on duty, how you prevent what could potentially be a chaotic situation uh, from becoming chaotic. And I guess by that, I mean, you know, how, how tasks are divvied up and so on.
2: Yeah, Tom, thanks for the question. So the 60-minute meeting, I think, is, is one of, if not the most important things we do to prepare for each NFL game. Um, for those of you on the call who are not familiar with it, it happens one hour before kickoff, and hence the name, the 60-minute meeting. But it's a gathering of all the medical personnel at the stadium for both teams and the independent medical personnel and the game referee. So just to go through that list, you've got team physicians, athletic trainers, You've got the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultants, the spotters in the booth. You've got the field paramedics, the airway doctor, the visiting team, medical liaison, even the x-ray technicians, the NFL game ops rep. All of those people are there and the referee. And the point of that meeting is to go through the highlights of the emergency action plan to remind everyone Um, things such as the location of the emergency equipment, how carts will be brought onto the field to confirm the radio signals, because everyone's connected by radio, what radio signals will be used in event of certain situations, as well as hand signals. So To to explain that a bit further, typically when when an athlete is injured on the field, the medical training staff of that athlete's team will run out on the field. If they get out on the field and they sense that this is a significant emergency, then they will give a hand signal in addition to the radio signal. It's basically an all call, meaning everyone come. Uh, Medical staffs of both teams and the independent medical personnel come out onto the field to assist and then they will proceed into those defined roles and responsibilities and one of those roles and responsibilities that is identified in that 60-minute meeting is who will be what we call the code leader meaning if there is a cardiac arrest who's going to lead who's going to be the captain of the ship in that moment to make determinations decisions about um, various aspects of the resuscitation so all of that information is covered at every one of our meetings We have that 60-minute meeting before every single NFL game, whether it's regular season, preseason, international, Super Bowl, they're all the same. And fans never get to see that meeting because it happens underneath the stadium. But as I said, I think it is one of, if if not the most important things we do to prepare for a game. And I think that you get a sense from who all is involved there how seriously everyone takes that. And the referee being present is also really key because obviously the referee uh, representing the entire officiating crew has command over the field and can communicate not only with the booth and the spotters, but with the medical staffs on both sides and can help in the response to a variety of medical situations. So it is something that we've been doing um, over the course of the last six seasons. It's made us better. And it is something that, again, I think uh, is applicable to all levels of play. You certainly won't have the number of medical personnel available at at every level of play in every sport that we do at the NFL, but it's always, I think, a great idea for the medical personnel to gather before the game um, with the people who are uh, running the field and and talk through those situations so that if they occur, again, we're up to date and up to speed about exactly what's going to transpire, and then we can simply fall into that routine and and taking those steps in, in, in as rapid and efficient a manner as possible.
0: Next question will come from Rachel from ABC News.
3: Hello, um, I guess this question could be answered by anybody, but is Demar Hamlin
0: considered a vested player? And if not, what type of resources like severance, health insurance or disability payments does the NFL plan to provide to him or his family?
3: Demar is in his second year. So you need to be vested. You need three years. But obviously in situations like this, we we expect, God willing, that he would recover. Uh, but he, will, he would get the resources necessary um, to make sure he has what he needs to, to live a, com- a complete
2: life.
0: Okay, next question. Jonathan Jones, CBS.
2: Thanks, Brian. I think this question is for um, Troy. And or Jeff, we obviously the Bills, excuse me, have not had media availability since then. So I'm curious in the conversations the league has had, particularly with the Bills, but also even with the Bengals. Do the Buffalo Bills want to play this weekend and uh, do do they want to play this game and how much is is that being taken under consideration? I could
3: I could just share Jonathan from what just my conversations with with coach and they have 100% been around. How is he doing? And that was as early as uh, I guess five thirty six 6 o'clock this morning. My last discussion with Coach McDermott. I have not had any discussions outside of how his mental health is of himself. And how are the players, and, and it, this includes uh, Brandon being a general manager. I just not We just have not had any discussion. That has not been, frankly. Um, my concern is to make sure the men um, have what they need to function. And that's getting through this day. Tomorrow is going to take care of itself. So that from my communications with the club and those players has just strictly been around Making sure they're okay to check in and being able to access those resources that are available to them. It is tough. And coach is still battling. Okay,
0: next question Ken Belson, New York Times.
3: Uh, thanks. This uh, question is for Dr. Sills. I, th- I was just wondering if you could put a little more detail on the emergency action plan um specifically when you watch the reaction of the uh, team um uh staff that run out uh there are two uh, uh uh men who run out and then there's two more and then they uh somebody's on a radio basically uh, uh asking for more help and then you see a couple guys with red caps can you just sort of give me a sense of the sequence do the trainers typically run out first
2: and then um the physicians or is there an order to how that happens in this case Well, I think, again, Ken. the initial assessment out on the field for any, any player with any injury is handled by the that players medical staff, which typically is an athletic trainer and or 1 of the team physicians. And then, once they get out and and get that immediate 1st, triage of what the situation is, then, as I said, they'll activate um, the emergency action plan and you'll see the other individuals coming into play. So. Uh, once again, that involves their colleagues on their own team medical staff, but also the other medical staff. Because at that point, there are really no teams, and, and that's not even a consideration for us. We're all physicians and, and athletic trainers. We're healthcare professionals. We take care of patients. Uh, we're not concerned about players at that point as far as who plays for what team. It's how can we help this patient have the very best outcome? The The red hats that you saw are um, our, our independent personnel, our unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant and the um, airway management physician and the visiting team medical liaison. So those are obviously locally based physicians, meaning in that market. And I think you're familiar with the, the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultants. Those uh, are experts in the care of neurotrauma. They may be neurosurgeons, neurologists, emergency physicians, other specialties that that help us with the concussion protocol, can help with spine injuries. But they're physicians who can help in that response. The airway physician is a, is a very um, specialized physician. That is someone who's been identified and um, who it, it has expertise in the emergency management of airways. So that means typically they are either an emergency physician or an anesthesiologist, but they must demonstrate regular and routine care of patients in a trauma setting. That's part of the requirements for that job. And so those individuals are identified locally. They are then approved by the league and the players association. And again, both of us take a very um, careful look at those qualifications to make sure that they can place an airway in this exact situation. Because obviously securing an airway um, in a trauma patient, it's very different than securing an airway, for example, in a patient who's being anesthetized for surgery. Those are very different situations. So we want people who have that expertise in that trauma situation, and that's who the airway physician is. The visiting team medical liaison, another one of the red hats, is a local physician, and they are all emergency physicians. They assist the visiting team with all aspects of their care while they're in the city. So from the time they arrive until the time they leave, um, everything from, you know, um, minor medical illnesses that might occur at a hotel, let's say, like um, you know gastroenteritis or an asthma attack, all the way up to uh, situations on game day, and including um, these emergency situations. So once again, that VTML, the visiting team medical liaison, and that airway physician, in addition to the team medical staffs and our unaffiliated neurotrauma consultants, they're all considered part of that emergency action team. And then of course you have the the stadium. Uh, medical personnel as well, the paramedics, the emergency medicine crew. So each of those individuals has been identified well in advance. Each of them participates in that uh, emergency scenario training that I spoke about earlier. And so um, they are certainly familiar with each other and with roles and responsibilities. And as I mentioned also earlier, they're all obviously present at the 60-minute medical meeting.
0: Okay, let's do a couple more here. Next up, Albert Breer, Sports Illustrated.
1: Yeah, hey uh, guys, um, just like with respect to the scheduling, I, I'm just sort of wondering in the seating too, like what your options are right now. And if the idea of pushing the playoffs back a week and um, eliminating the Super Bowl bye week would be on the table um, to get Bills Bengals in, if canceling the Bills Bengals game is an option, I'm just sort of wondering what the options are there as far as changing seating to accommodate the teams or or changing the schedule to to accommodate the teams and and maybe how much you know your experience in 2020 helps out with this
3: so i, I will begin just again I, I just literally this morning began just really diving into that albert and all of those things that you just raised from seeding it, it just really took us back to the principles that guided us through the 2020 season from if. Hey, if you're playing all 272, if you're not playing all, how does all of that change? All of those things are being factored in, as Jeff alluded to earlier. So everything is being considered. Um, And hope to dive into that, you know, full steam ahead um, at the conclusion of this call. Um, So um, still, obviously, we have to dedicate time in in that particular area. But all of those things that, that you just referenced, those guiding principles that got us through or took us into the 2020 season with COVID, um, all of those things will be things that guide us through this conversation. And making sure the proper equity is in place. And as we saw, potentially, uh, there may be a lack of equity um, where there may be, it it may not be perfect, but it will allow those that are participating or have earned that right to play, to continue to play.
0: Okay, two more questions, Rob Motti. Rob. Hey, sorry, I had to unmute. Uh, Troy, uh, first off, appreciate your transparency. And given what you said about Sean McDermott, how difficult and emotional this is on the Bills. And since we're at Wednesday and there's game planning, there's preparation, so much goes into making sure a team is ready for a football game. How much consideration are you giving to postponing the Bills-Patriots game as well this week?
3: Again, uh, Rob, we have not had that discussion. We have we have literally, when I say myself and commissioner and others, are just constantly talking to the clubs and, in particular, uh, the Bills. It's really important that we just keep the pulse of the coach and the players and don't get in front of that. And we'll, we'll allow Sean and his team and his staff and the players, which are – the most important thing here to guide us, um, if we have to make that uh, have to make that decision collectively uh, with the club, on what's best for for Sean and his team and
0: the players. Okay, last question, Tom Palacero. <laughs> Tom. There we go. Unmuted. Uh, So going back, Troy, to what you said about um, the guiding principles from the COVID era, kind of taking you through how to approach a situation like this, one of those guiding principles was that if there were a situation where one team played an unequal number of games to another team, the winning percentage would uh, determine the playoff seeding. So to that end, if this Bills-Bengals game is not uh, resumed, how would that game, whether it's a tie or a nullified game, how would it be reflected in the standings so tom so just so that I'm clear, and if you can remember
3: those principles was it was a one year only, so they were principles that some of those things that we hope that if we need to get there it it may it will it will be factored in so keeping in mind they were guiding principles, one of those guiding principles that was the in season committee talked about the value of winning and winning percentage. So we just need to, you know, really dive into that and make sure that as a commissioner, we give him suggestions that all things have been considered. And that way he can talk to the membership about uh, the proper direction of uh, what's at play.
0: Okay, that will conclude the session. We do appreciate you joining. We'll continue to provide information as it becomes available. Thank you very much.
5: And that was a uh, news conference held by the uh, National Football League. Uh, you heard a lot of uh, Troy uh, Vincent, who is a big-shot executive with the National Football League. And uh, apparently the story about the league wanting uh, to take a five-minute breather and then get back to play is uh, something that uh, offended Troy Vincent uh, very greatly. Uh, He said that his mic was open the whole time. So uh, it certainly did not come from Troy Vincent. Now, did it come from somebody underneath Troy Vincent? Um, One would ask the question, why was Joe Burrow warming up at one point during the uh, injury to number three? Um, Do not know. But, uh, it clearly, uh, I- at least in my opinion, it clearly is not a situation of the National Football League uh, officially, at any high level, putting out this five-minute talk that we're going to take five minutes and then we're going to resume the game again on Monday night. And, uh Obviously, uh, Troy Vinson felt very, very passionately about that. Yes, he did play for the Buffalo Bills and a bunch of other teams, very successful National Football League career, and now a very successful executive uh, with the National Football League. So here we are, and uh, it is Wednesday. It is the uh, fourth day of January 2023, and unfortunately, we can't tell you anything more about uh, DeMar than we told you yesterday. Uh, he is said to be improving, but we have no information as to precisely the nature of improvement past the point where apparently he is able to uh, somewhat breathe on his own better than he had been shortly after the incident. Now, what that portends for the future is, uh, and his uh, rehabilitation, his quality of life, much less his football career, obviously, we're just not in a position to know. And the family is uh, being you know, rightfully uh, protective of the details uh, regarding DeMar Hamlet. So this uh, situation of uh, just wondering what is going to happen is going to continue for the uh, foreseeable For the foreseeable future, I don't know, uh, Josh Schmidt, I don't know that we have any uh, news conferences scheduled from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, uh, none of which I am aware. And uh, as we pointed out yesterday in our conversations with uh, some of the doctors, um, in case you missed them, some of the testing that is going to be done is going to be the mechanical testing like MRIs, and some will be. Physical testing at such point as DeMar is able to do it, as one of the doctors explained, okay, here's my finger, follow the finger, Uh, things like that. And if you've ever had a concussion or uh, it was suspected that you had had a stroke, you know what they do to assess your cognitive function. That's one of the things they'll do. Uh, They'll ask you, for example, uh, can you see my finger now? And it will be in the periphery of vision and uh, they'll also show you little cards showing made-up scenes and ask you to describe the scene as one way to assess your cognitive um, function, Uh, certainly in a situation where it's suspected that you'd had a stroke, and most likely in a situation like this, if they get to the point where they're able to uh, better assess through those kinds of uh, physical tests conducted one human being to another, uh, the degree to which hopefully... None, but the degree to which uh, any brain damage was done due to the uh, lack of full, uh, fully oxygenated blood um, for Damar. And, you know, the, the, there, are, there are two – I mean, there's a lot of questions, but the two major questions at this point are uh, to what extent is Damar's brain uh, in terms of its health uh, and its stability – and did it receive enough oxygen to avoid any damage? And the other question is going to be of a cardiac nature, and that is, was any damage done uh, to the heart? Uh, Those of you who have had heart attacks know that uh, one of the anxious days that you run into in the uh, recovery process uh, happens uh, usually a few weeks or months after the heart attack as they assess how much damage was done To your heart, because a heart attack, uh, not cardiac arrest, but a heart attack basically is like a stroke to the heart. So I'm sure they're going to take a very good look not only at that, uh, the overall condition of his heart, but as the physicians have told us, uh, they will be doing um, electrophysiology studies of the heart as well as uh, the physical studies as mentioned to determine whether there are any congenital abnormalities and when you're dealing with a situation involving a heart issue um, there are ladies and gentlemen there are so many specialists that get involved in your heart for example there is the general cardiologist who is the jack of all trades with cardiology uh, sometimes they're very good and talented at doing angiograms as well. And an angiogram is something where a wire with a camera on it is put either into the wrist or into the groin, and it's guided through your uh, your system to assess the level of plaque uh, that you have in uh, the key arteries uh, leading to the heart. It's a really important diagnostic tool. You've also got the electrophysiologists and If you have had, in Buffalo, if you've had a heart attack, I can name at least one electrophysiologist. All this guy does with hearts is he is the electrician. And he'll tell you, this is my job, I'm the heart's electrician. And then you get the people who are the plumbers of the heart, uh, who assess the degree to which arteriosclerotic plaque has formed and uh, they will also determine whether or not you need stents, whether you need bypass, or whatever the situation happens to be. Uh, but at this point, the official position of the National Football League, if I heard the news conference correctly, is that they don't know precisely what caused the horrific situation during Monday Night Football. Uh, a lot of the uh, physicians have said, well, it looks like uh, commotio cortis. it looks like Uh, The situation where at just the right moment, which is actually the wrong moment, but at just the right moment during the heart's rhythm, it faces a serious trauma. And for whatever reason, the heart gets knocked out of balance. And you saw how quickly, if it is that situation, uh, that that can manifest itself uh, the other night. Uh, with uh, Demar Hamlin, it was a terrible, terrible situation, and unfortunately, it was a, it was a one in a million thing. But this, uh, obviously, the the nine minutes of uh, CPR and resuscitative um, efforts that were made, that's clearly a concern to uh, to the doctors. It wasn't a question of his being out uh, for. A couple of minutes, or less than a minute, and then brought back. It was a question of having to be resuscitated, according to reports, twice while he was on the field. And uh, you know, again, is is we there's there's just so much information that we just don't know um, about his condition about his prognosis, about what exactly is going on with him. And again, that is the uh, family's prerogative. I mean, he may be a player for the Buffalo Bills, but he also has a family, and uh, some families obviously are a lot more uh, guarded and tight-lipped about what is going on with respect to health of family members um, than than others. And I certainly um, respect that. I mean, typically in my family, uh, nobody finds out that somebody had died until they're well buried and in the ground. It's just the silly way that uh, our family happens to work, and I'm sure you've got your own ways of dealing with things like that. It is uh, 227 at News Radio 930 WBEN. Uh, so much to get into uh, on the program today, obviously, relative to uh, number three. Uh, So stay with us. And the phone number to call, by the way, uh, is, as it always is, 803-0930, star 930 on the cell phone, and 1-800-616-WBEN. Bowerly behind the microphone, Josh Schmidt at Master Control, you on the telephone. And we'll uh, give you some stuff to uh, chew on here. We come back from the 2.30 News with Mr. Puckett on WBEN. Right, welcome. It is Bowerly, News Radio, nine thirty. W B E N uh, had a chance to have dinner last night with a real live hero. Uh, it was uh, it was Merry Christmas, Jay, uh, the guy who saved twenty four souls over the Christmas blizzard weekend. Uh, had a very nice uh, dinner with him. Talked about a lot of stuff and uh, really. Uh, just it, it was the guy is so you have no idea how humble the guy is. I mean, if you'd save twenty four lives, you'd probably I don't know. I'm not sure. I guess it's an individual thing. But uh, Jay was brought up to um, help people. Uh, he doesn't know it, but he's going to be putting siding on for me this summer. Uh, but now he 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 was uh, he was brought up to help people, and that's exactly what he did during the blizzard. Uh, many of you have gone to the Carnegie Hero Fund. To nominate Jay for a Carnegie Hero Award, which he absolutely deserves and for which he totally meets all criteria, putting himself at great risk, not just once or twice, but two dozen times to save his fellow human beings from almost certain death uh, during the blizzard of 22. But that's just the kind of guy he is. And uh, 27 years old, he's uh, incredibly wise. And one of the things that I would like to see happen, and I'm not sure how much of a possibility it is, because he's not a pop star um, or a cultural icon yet, but uh, it would seem to me that uh, he ought to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So that's the nation's highest civilian award, although recent years it seems to go to pop stars uh, as opposed to people like Jay. So we'll see if that goes anywhere. I hope uh, Congressman Brian Higgins puts forward the idea to the president to make sure that uh, Jay – receives the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Again, it's the civilian equivalent to the Medal of Honor. It's the highest uh, award a civilian can uh, receive. Um, At this point in the show, uh, I want to talk about, uh, obviously, as far as the situation involving number three. And by the way, what an incredible post by the Buffalo Sabres last night on social media. It was... It, it was absolutely stunning. As I mentioned, I was out to dinner with Jay, so I didn't really have a chance to uh, watch any of the Sabres game last night because I was too tied up with uh, the conversation and too uh, enraptured by what I was hearing from this uh, in, incredible hero. But the uh, uh, situation last night uh, from the Buffalo Sabres who have put uh, – Hamlin, three, as their logo on social media posts. Tage's January 3rd. Three goals. Third hat trick of the season. 30th goal of the season. Winner, three minutes into overtime. That's an awful lot of threes. Awful lot of threes. This one was for you, Demar, And, and it Sabres was three-on-three was-
2: three overtime, too.
0: There was three players on three players,
5: and the Sabers um, wore number three uh, shirts uh, into the game yesterday, which was uh, pretty incredible. So that was uh, something that uh, it, you, you can't make it up, and we just hope that uh, that uh, obviously uh, Demar uh, is able at some point to recognize everything that uh, is is being done for him um and those of you you know g- getting back to the issue of the breathing tube how many how many of you have you had a, a breathing tube put into you yeah it's 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 not a lot of fun and your reflexive action is to rip that tube out of you i mentioned this yesterday but um after the uh, quad bypass in 2017 Apparently, and I have no recollection of this because I was pretty doped up at the time in the hospital, but apparently as they were wheeling me into the cardiac ICU after the surgery, I reached up and pulled the breathing tube out of me. And it was just so bizarre because there was also a scene in The Sopranos where Tony Soprano did the same thing. And I hear from a number of people saying that you did the same thing with the breathing tube. So... Now, there's a very good reason uh, that uh, he's under sedation, um, and obviously, uh, it's something that they have to keep an eye on with uh, the breathing. And then, when they go through the whole wake-up process, when they're about to really take out for real the breathing tube, um, they give you a few minutes of consciousness. At least, you know, I, I get to speak from personal experience. They give you uh, a few minutes of uh, of consciousness. They tell you to relax. They tell you to chill out, and it's very frustrating because you are so drugged up at that point. Of course, you're relaxed. You've never felt more relaxed in your life. But nonetheless, they tell you, you got to make sure you relax. And then uh, they just reach in and uh, just pull out the breathing tube. It's really quite painless. And then Ideally you uh, breathe on your own but of course uh, in an ICU situation they have everything on hand to um reintubate you and re-sedate you if that uh, in fact is is what you need because you really don't want to be awake when the breathing tube uh, is is put in any more than you want to be awake when you are catheterized which uh, obviously is uh, not a great deal of uh, not a great deal of fun but uh, David talked about this a little bit earlier today And I'd like to continue the conversation, which was, I think, somewhat interrupted by the informative news conference by the National Football League. And that is uh, this whole subject of prayer and your specific experiences with prayer. Now, please understand that when it comes to metaphysical things, or spiritual things or religious things, I always look to the most likely um, possibility that something happened because of X or Y. And I know that many years ago in the 1980s, there was research done that claimed that people who were prayed for, even though they did not know that they were being prayed for, had a better recovery rate from certain medical emergencies uh, than those who were not prayed for. But there are other studies that are much more recent that show, in particular with cardiac patients, that there is no difference uh, in people who were prayed for versus people who were not prayed for. And in those cases where there was a, a difference, I mean, they had a, a an experimental group, they had a control group, um, in those int- uh, uh, instances, the doctors attributed... Uh, recovery, not so much to uh, intercessory prayer as they did to the uh, in-person prayers of, of somebody at the bedside of of someone who is sick. So uh, I ask you the question, and look, you're entitled to your belief. I'm entitled to my belief. I ask you the question, do you personally believe that prayer works? Um, having said that, my only prayer, and I've said this a million times, and it, it has never changed through a whole bunch of really weird surgeries, okay? It's never changed. My only prayer is a very short one. It's very simple. Thy will be done. And that that's it. That's the only prayer that I ever say. And frankly, I stole that from President McKinley, who uh, died in Buffalo, and he accepted whatever fate that God had decided way in advance for His ending, uh, and it was a display of uh, complete subordination to the will of God, and and that's the only prayer that I make. I don't pray, please God, let Tyler Bass make this field goal, please. I I, I just I don't do that. Um, but again, you may your beliefs are probably different than mine are mine. Prayer is just a real simple one. Thy will be done. Because um, I have to accept whatever is meted out by God, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Um, If you believe in the idea of God's will, then God is in charge. God is all-powerful, and everything happens for a reason, which, by the way— is something that uh, Jay, the Blizzard hero, brought up in our interview with him last Thursday, that he went to five different houses after he was stranded in his automobile during the chief roars of the Blizzard of 22. Five different houses turned him down. He offered $500 at every house if he could just come in and sleep on the floor. Every house turned him down. But he believes, as I do, that everything happens for a reason. And because Jay had been turned down by five houses at the doors of which he had knocked, that is when necessity became the mother of invention. And he looked up nearby schools on his cell phone and decided to break into the the, – School in which he found refuge not only for himself, but also for uh, 24 other people he rescued. And, you know, if you think about it, and we've talked a little bit about this, um, if Jay had been allowed into any one of those homes that had turned him down, 24 additional people likely would have died in the blizzard of 22. But because he was turned down for shelter and refuge during the storm, even offering a pretty vast amount of money for a one-night stay. Um, because of that, because that happened, other things sequentially happened. And it's it's really, it really is an amazing story. And obviously, uh, there are certain parallels to Joseph and Mary um, from the Bible, obviously, uh, that also apply to uh, the situation involving Jay. I mean, how many times? You know, no room at the inn has kind of become a, an English language uh, cliche, but you know, obviously uh, has its origins going back uh, thousands and thousands of years. So, in and you, you know what? If if you don't believe at all in prayer, I'd like to know. If you believe in prayer, if you've actually seen prayer work to the exclusion of all other things, I'd like to know. Have you ever seen or had in your life a real, honest-to-goodness, according to Hoyle, miracle take place? I mean, miracles do happen. Doctors will say, we have no idea why somebody with stage four cancer overnight it was cleared of cancer? We have no idea why certain patients live. They they just they don't know. They shrug their shoulders for the most part. Uh, some of them who are more religiously inclined will say, "I think we've just experienced a miracle here in in the hospital." Um, so, your own personal situation. Do you personally believe? that prayer actually works. I mean, it can't hurt anything. I've never known anybody to be hurt by prayer. But the question is, have you ever seen it work? And have you ever seen, as I've said, a real, honest to goodness, miracle take place? Maybe in your life, a friend's life, uh, the life of someone with whom you're close, possibly family member, husband, wife. Have you seen a miracle? And, you know, Mr. Hamlin has already experienced a miracle, Um, you know, something that, of course, you could say miracle, you could say the benefits of modern medical knowledge, whatever you want to say. The uh, phone number to call in is 803-0930. That's 803-0930. Star 930 is free on the cell phone. 1-800-616-WBEN is free on Choice One. Uh, Not that you've paid for a long-distance phone call for many, many years, but uh, we want to throw that out there. Uh, 803-0930, star 930, Uh, 1-800-616-WBEN. David uh, comes at this from a uh, uh, Christian angle uh, where – you know, according to the teachings of Jesus, you are supposed to uh, pray for your enemies, not just your friends. Because if you only pay, if you only pray for your friends, then what have you really gained? Um, sentiments of that nature can be found in the New Testament, as I'm sure most of you are well aware. Um, but that, you know, that is a very uh, Christian approach. If you believe in in prayer, what exactly is it for which you pray? And what does it do, I'm curious, to your faith, if you make a very fervent prayer, please God, save my husband, please God, save my wife, and the result that you want is not what you get, how difficult is that to resolve within the framework of whatever faith happens to be yours? And that's one of the reasons why I've told you my only prayer is, thy will be done, because I want to be able to accept whatever God has doled out as the eventuality in a given situation. Um, and I do believe very strongly in God. I do not adhere to uh, any specific religion uh, or philosophy, but I uh, absolutely believe in, in God. I don't think there any rational person can really um, can really argue that. Of course, nobody's ever going to know 100% for sure until it's time for the afterlife. Um, I've... You, you've heard some people who've had near-death experiences. you heard people on this show very recently, Sue, who suffered the heart attack, uh, who had a near-death experience. And uh, it, it was very, very, very interesting. And some people would say, well, she experienced heaven. Other people would say, well, actually what she experienced was a bunch of neurological um, uh, explosions in the brain that made her think that she was in heaven. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't have I don't have a clue. Uh 803-0930. Let's go to uh Mark in uh, Buffalo. Mark, you are on hello. Hi Tom, how are you? That's uh, be- well, it's a it's a beautiful beautiful day kind of. Feel like rain. It's nice weather for ducks. I pray for world peace. Um my mom was a
6: fervent believer of the rosary and it appears that Man's technology with destruction, with weaponry, with the platforms, has exceeded his ability to rationally think. Just look at world events,
5: man. I pray for peace. Um, and okay, when uh, you, you pray for peace, so. At any given moment in the world, there's a whole bunch of conflicts going on, most of which we don't hear about. But the big one now is another European conflict between Russia and Ukraine. How do you resolve that? It's something against which you pray, but yet it happens. So how do, how do you resolve well, with, that? Um, I personally think that
6: Putin is a servant of Lucifer, to be honest with you. He's committed war crimes. Hitler did the same thing. Land grab, war crimes. Genocide, greed, foolishness, myopic foolishness. You know, Putin. One of these days, he's going to miscalculate. And what do you think happens when he miscalculates? It's going to end up poorly with him. His money's not going to spend too well in a glass parking lot.
5: Um. Yeah. I, I. As far as Putin is concerned, um, you. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Vladimir Putin. Um, with his ties to KGB. One of the reasons why he's even in power at the moment is he engineered a whole bunch of false flag attacks in Russia, which allowed a crackdown on civil liberties. Everywhere you look, there are fingerprints of Joseph Stalin on Vladimir Putin. Um, He is uh, obviously a bad actor, but he's a bad actor with, with nukes. But, I don't think he's crazy. Now, Kim Jong-un, now you, you pray for world peace. Here's a guy who wants to accelerate and multiply North Korea's nuclear program, has made no bones about the fact that he wants uh, ICBMs that can reach anywhere in the United States. What do you make of that?
6: He made a great technological advancement instead of just a regular fission splitting of the atom, atomic bomb. They achieved... a. Uh nuclear fusion with uh, deuterium and tritium, a much more advanced, much more powerful weapon system. But as as somebody who... He upgraded from an atomic weapon to a thermonuclear weapon. And I also, if my information is correct, his ballistics are such that he can reach anywhere in the continental United States.
5: So as somebody who started off the conversation by saying that you pray for world peace, do you think that that's the direction in which the world is heading? I think that if the start is going to be Ukraine, someone's going to miscalculate. So despite your prayers, even though you believe in prayer, you think that we're heading for a global conflagration.
6: Um, I think that we're ill-prepared, and I try not really to think about this, but I pray hard. It's just that, Tom, things are so
5: scary. And one last thing is that I pray for you for your health. All right. Thank you very much. I, uh, I appreciate it. I'd stick with world peace. You got a better shot with that one. It is uh, coming up on 256 at News Radio 930 WBEN. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, the situation between Russia and, and Ukraine and who who is going to miscalculate? Is it going to be Putin or is it going to be Biden? Uh, because essentially, we seem to be fighting a proxy war with Russia in Ukraine using American weapons to kill Russian soldiers. And it's shades of the Cold War all over again. And one of the things that is not particularly encouraging is if you uh, look at the Russian uh, polling situation, the most popular Russian leader is not Catherine the Great. The most popular Russian leader is not Lenin. The most popular Russian leader Joseph Stalin, it, yes, the, the, the most popular leader in Russian history to the Russian today who is surveyed is Joseph Stalin. And if there's been somebody more like Joseph Stalin than Vladimir Putin in the former Soviet Union, it uh, must not have made my radar. But uh, you know, unfortunately, as they say, history uh, repeats itself. Um, do you believe in prayer? And for what do you pray? Do you believe it works? And if it doesn't work, does that mess with your faith at all? Curious. 8030930, star Star930, hundred six one six WBEN. Contrariwise, do you think prayer is a, a, a waste of time? 8030930, Star 930, hundred six one six WBEN.